0: Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Shram Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show.
1: All right, I'm back here with another episode of the True Strength Life Podcast. Aaron Simpkins, your host, and I have back on the show Steve Schramm, uh, apologist extraordinaire, and <laughs> um, so we uh, we wanted to we wanted to talk about the resurrection today. Uh, obviously, this has been Easter week and Easter weekend. And um, today is is Good Friday that we're recording. Um, so this is uh, the resurrection is a big deal. And it's kind of like the biggest deal. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that as we go. But uh, say hi again, buddy.
0: Hey man, hey, hey, hey Hope everybody is, is doing well Yeah, no, I agree, this is a great subject And I, uh, I've i been, the past few days As I w- was kind of reflecting on things I've been reading and watching more You know, just, I'm always studying about this stuff But, you know, this time of year is when the resurrection really comes up So I've been doing, you know, doing my homework in recent days Just watching debates and lectures And uh, last night, my family and I watched The Case for Christ again And if you, mm. just a recommendation man to your to your to your listeners and man if you haven't seen that uh, the case for christ it's on netflix if you have a netflix subscription I mean, does anybody not have a netflix subscription but if you, yeah, as you say, everybody you know, does um, if not i'm sure you could get a, a free trial right now or something you know and uh man the, the case for christ on netflix is the story of lee strobel and it's just a i mean it's just a great story i mean not only is the actual the details you know that you get from the resurrection story in the bible and and the awesome evidential material that Lee Strobel Stumbled upon in his search of Christianity, but the actual just story of his conversion, his wife's conversion, and then his conversion, and then now his, you know, his his, his kids are both you know doing full time ministry work. You know, one's a seminary professor with a PhD, the other one's a you know published <laughs> author. She's written like you know ten or fifteen books now that that are yeah. you know, Christian Christian books. So anyway, it, it's just it's just really cool to see the Lord working. Through, um, through Lee, and I mean, you know, it turns out that his his book, The Case for Faith, his main book is The Case for Christ, but or I should say, mm-hmm. his most popular, his his first real apologetics book, but the one that I read was called The Case for Faith, and that's the book that really got me into apologetics uh and really I, st- I stumbled upon it in a goodwill one day and and yeah. you know it kind of it's kind of like the rest is history like i didn't know any of the names when i was reading because he interviews scholars in his books and i didn't know any of the names of the people that he had mentioned there and now they're like you know like i know them and I, I i you know sometimes i even you know talk to them or at least people really close to them and it's just so awesome um, really a great story. So I highly recommend you go check that out. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It, it's Lee's, it's Lee's investigation into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, that's helped so many come to faith as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the, and then, uh, I don't know if, if you knew this too, but it, well in, in the case series, he, cause it, it's a whole case series that Lee Strobel did. Um, he has a, they, they made a, a small version called The Case for Easter, and it, it, it dives into, it, it rips out from the case for Christ, the parts that are directly about the resurrection. And it, they made it into like this small book that's like 100 pages. Yeah. Um, and I I just had ordered a couple of weeks ago on Christianbook.com. They were like 99 cents each. So I got a, a bunch of them. Um,
0: oh, that's cool! I have the Kindle version of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah i you know was yeah that's part of what I was reading this week. Yeah, just, just the yeah. little case for Easter. But yeah, I have it on Kindle, like a buck on Kindle or something like that. So yeah,
1: yep. it's great. I side note, and then <laughs> then we'll jump into it. But I <laughs> had just uh, yesterday, I had just ordered a bunch of books again, and I got a uh, you know Jay Warner Wallace. Mm-hmm. He's he's another great apologist to look into. Uh, cold case homicide Detective. and he wrote. Um, he also wrote. Smaller, uh, books that are, are just a, a cold case homicide detectives look into the resurrection. Um, I so I ordered called
0: alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I couldn't think of it, but yeah, it is. Um, I got 10 of those too. So, random awesome. people listening you will be getting some
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: awesome yeah
0: that's, that's, that's a really great idea to buy those little books like that and just give them away to people you know you know share yep. them with people that's that's I, I didn't even think of that but that's awesome it's really awesome
1: yeah um, all right so I know you had a you had an idea for 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 starting this, so let's let's just get the train rolling.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know the the whole the whole thing about apologetics. I I give a talk on this, and I I say, is there any evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And you know, as as Christians, this is something that should really matter to us. And yet, it doesn't occur to a lot of people. I, I mean, you know, here I am, thirty years old. I was saved when I was four years old. My little boy right now is the age that I was when I accepted Christ. And yet it's only been in the last, you know, somewhere in, in four to five years that I've started studying the reasons for my faith. And so that means I was a Christian for a very, very, very long time, over 20 years, before realizing that not only that there was good reasons for faith but that it even mattered that there was good mm-hmm. reasons for faith it just never yeah. occurred to me right because i grew up in that, <clears throat> in that context of going to church you know we went three times a week where i went and of course i went to a christian school that was actually at that same church so i was i was there I was there constantly, and it just never really occurred to me until, um, you know, until one day, uh, you know, four or five Mm. years ago, you know, I wonder if this stuff, I wonder if there's anything to this. Does anybody outside of my little circle actually believe this stuff? And it turns out that, yeah, the answer to that question is yes. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of people over the course of history who have believed this, and they are not, it turns out, random people, you know, like ignorant, um, you know, just you know people who don't know any better let me, let me put it that way they are not people who don't know any better they are smart people they are some of the most intelligent people on the planet as, as one uh apologist and yep. philosopher jp moreland often says um the other side doesn't have all the smart guys <laughs>
1: uh, that's so true
0: <laughs> by, by any by any yeah by any stretch and What's interesting is when you begin this so-called this evidential dive into the Bible, you start looking <clears throat> at the Bible with more of an eye toward the evidence. What you start to see is that the kind of claims that the Bible makes are inherently evidential. In other words, um, whether or not they are actually objectively true, right, is is one question, but there is no question that what the Bible writers thought that they were recording was true, okay? And they, they make painstaking efforts to communicate that to the reader, and um, so it's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. Consider this passage, 1 Peter three fifteen. This is kind of like mm-hmm. when you start learning about apologetics. This is day one, right? This is the this is the first verse you read that somebody points you to for why that,
1: it, it, was <laughs> it was top of my notes too. <laughs>
0: oh, was it really? Well, then, see, there you yeah. go, right? See, it, it's 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 important to start there because it really it really does matter that we have reasons. And so it says, um, and I'm reading from the King James version personally, but but your version likely says something very similar to this. But sanctify by the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or you could say with gentleness and respect. And so what 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 the writer is saying here, what Peter is saying here is, look, you've you got to be ready when people ask you because you should be living in such a way and you should be conducting your manner of life in such a way that people do ask you why you believe what you do. Why do you act how you do? Why do you think this is such an important thing? And we should be able to give them an answer with gentleness and Respect, so it, you know it, it, it's not as though Peter is advocating for a sort of blind faith. Well, you know, or, or a sort of um, convenience thing. You know, well, you know, I tried it and it works for me. You know, does it work for you? Kind of, you know, yeah. you should see if it works for you. You know, it's not that uh, way. a
1: feel good experience thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, a feel a feel good experience, or you know, hey, try out Jesus. You know, I've heard, I've heard some. You know, I think well-meaning but extremely misguided pastors say something like that. Why don't you try out Jesus for a year? You know, just 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 try Ooh. him out. You know, give him a give him a trial run. Give him a test drive. And uh, you know, you know, you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you know, pick up your cross, come and die, follow me. You know, um, it, it is just not. It is just not that kind of thing. It's if this is true, it has you know profound implications for the way that we yeah. live. Our lives, and that's honestly that's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to this, when it comes to this issue, it, it's you know, Christianity is either of no importance. Um, what what does he say? Um, if it's if it's if it's false, it's of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. And the only thing it can't be is moderately important. And that's such a key point because this is not something that it is is you know it's not subjective truth. It's not well if it works for you, it's not well if it if it ends up that you know you have a better quality of life because of this. That's not what's going on here. What matters is whether or not it's true. And specifically, and this is where we're kind of, you know, really getting down to the meat and bones, specifically that has to do with an event. An event in history. One event in history that um, Max Lucado is a Christian author and you know different people have different feelings about him. We all have different feelings about all kinds of different authors but he, yep. he I, I think he once called it the hinge of history um, mm. this event, the resurrection. I thought it was a great way to put it.
1: An author would say something like that <laughs>
0: right Is't that beautiful right? Just yeah I know I was oh man it's great. the hinge of history. all history turns on this event. On, yeah. on, on 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 this person of Jesus and this event of the resurrection in fact it's so important that the the apostle paul himself in 1 Corinthians 15 said that if Christ is not raised then your faith this thing that you that you cling to this you know the, this this thing that you put into practice every day it's in vain and mm-hmm. the reason it's in vain is because you're still in your sins. In other words, Christ hasn't redeemed you if this event did not happen and you are still again, Paul was a Jew, so he's got that context. You know, Paul was not approaching this as an atheist, you know. There was definitely belief in God. In fact, the problem was belief in in multiple gods. The problem was not so much atheism in Paul's context in Paul's day. It was more so polytheism. Otherwise, there were yeah. atheists sure enough, but but the problem the problem was not that there was a lack of God in the cultures surrounding him. The, the real problem is that there were too many uh, that people were trying to worship and, and, and venerate. And Paul said, "You know, no. You're, if Christ is not raised, then you're still in your sins. You've still sinned against yeah. God, but but you have no redemption for that."
1: Let me uh, let me read that that full part real quick. Yeah, um, go for it. Now I'm I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we witnessed against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. Like if you don't, I'm. I, I know that there's a lot of words in that translation you know maybe even even in that one that uh are not like typical modern words we use but the point is this is a big deal and this is hardcore <laughs> <laughs> right this <laughs> totally, is yeah this is paul the apostle and 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 i think at another time we'll get into uh, we'll come back to this passage probably because i, I want to highlight another part of it um about the timing of it uh, where it fell in history mm-hmm. um but what he, the Paul, it, it, who, who is not a, uh, it, it's not an argued upon thing whether or not the Apostle Paul was a real person that existed, and and you know basically was the guy that the Bible says he was, um, that's a known thing, and he's writing this, which was a super early writing in Christian in Christian documents, and he's saying, if none of this is true, forget about it, stop wasting your time. And if you still and if you if you've believed this, including himself, if you've believed this, you're 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 to be pitied among everybody the most because you've believed a lie and you've given your life to a complete lie. Like I that this is what I always go back to um, if I if I have talks about the resurrection with people, um, because scriptures use the, the Bible itself, which is which is God's word, which is the the Christian story, um, this and this is what we you know we 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 put all of our our faith and all in the Bible. This is where we get everything from the in the Scripture. It hinges all of we got. I said hinge again. It hinges all of this, all of Scripture, all of the whole faith, all of this, everything that it's saying, the importance of Jesus and all that in the Gospels, the whole thing is hinged on this one historical fact. And I like how, uh, I like how Dr. Craig Hazen puts it uh, in his presentation. Um, if you, if you just YouTube Craig Hazen, H-A-Z-E-N and do uh, it should be one of the first ones to pop up. It's evidence for the resurrection, but in his presentation, he holds his hand up and he says, I look at the resurrection as a string that you just, you're, you know, you're, you're holding this, this little skinny string and, and, all of everything is is on this string, like the Bible, God, our faith, everything is is hanging from this one string, and all anybody, any any non-believer, atheist, whoever you want to be, all you have to do is just cut the string, get rid of it, and it's no big deal. But he says, I don't know what that string is made out of, but it's broken the scissors of everything that's tried to cut it, because this is this the resurrection story and and the realness of it, the historical um, uh, fact of it. Has been under attack ever since day one, mm-hmm. and to this day, two thousand years later, it has not been proven false because it is truth, and that's the main point. What is truth? This is truth because it it would have been proven false way earlier than now if it was false. Um, that's right. All you okay, have to I'm do is my-
0: produce the body, right? I mean, that's yeah. Uh, that's really the way to put it. I mean, it just produce. It's really simple. Just- produce the body of jesus and that's of course you know there'll be a lot more nuance to that today of course you know but the point is back then you know all you would had to do was show in the body just 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 show the body of jesus and you can you can bring the whole house of cards down and and if you're somebody like me who, who does take a pretty strong stand on biblical inerrancy and things of that nature then i do think the entire bible gets thrown out with it because the bible claims that um yeah th- that jesus was the creator you know what i mean that, yep. that jesus was the, that, that jesus was the creator and if you actually look back into again this is, this goes deeper than we're going today but if you look back into second Ju- second temple jewish literature and if you look at connections back with the old testament there was actually belief in a godhead in a jewish godhead um and that the new testament writers are are, are getting this from that that jesus is the new testament version of that and so it all it all comes together so jesus was the creator and that's the witness of the entirety of Scripture altogether. And so if Jesus was not raised, then those claims are false. As far as I'm concerned, the claims about him being creator are false. Literally, the entire house of cards comes crumbling down if this event did not happen. Now, maybe some other Christians would put that a little bit different way, but, but that's, that's the way I put it. That's the way I think about it. And I, I yeah. say this kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes when I'm talking to, to people about this, but you know, there are a whole lot better things, assuming— this were not true there are a whole lot better things i could be doing with my time on a sunday you know what i mean on a wednesday like why why waste all that time why spend time in prayer why spend all of my free time you know creating content and reading other people's content and and, and, you know trying to help people understand more about this stuff you know i'm wasting a lot of time if this is not true and you know that's that that's not a that's not to say that i'm I think it's true because of wishful thinking, that's actually quite the opposite. I want to know if this is not true so that if it's not true, I can stop wasting my time. But if it is true, then I want to do nothing. But this, I want to devote my life to helping other people realize that it's true. And Exactly. So that really is the 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 importance of uh, of the issue. And, and again, you know as we dive into this here <coughs> something important to realize is that we're talking about history. We're talking about real history. And so many people don't realize this, but it's a huge point, I I think. If you apply the same kind of historical methodology that you would apply to understanding the existence of any historical figure, if you apply that same information to Jesus— at least, as far as ancient history is concerned, the, it's unprecedented. We have nothing. We have nothing, I- I- even in close comparison, that um, uh, to like what we have for Jesus. So, the flip side of that is that if you're going to attack Jesus based on certain things, then honestly, you'd have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. What you'd end up doing is, f- um, you know, implicitly falsifying information that we have about other ancient historical figures that plenty of people have no problem believing exist. And so that's kind of the trajectory that, that we're going down today. Alexander
1: the great, right? Alexander the great is, is one of that's, that's from a, from a Christian standpoint, uh, and people who, who use this argument, um, he's kind of like the, the main one, because if, so many people are like no nah, i don't want to you know all the historical documents about jesus and all i i don't want to you know that that's just it, it doesn't it's not a big deal it doesn't mean much well the the same let's let's use the and and Josh McDowell i know um, makes this point <clears throat> give the the same testing and all and and, and type of proof that you want to you you want to uh, and scrutiny you want to put the scriptures under <clears throat> put that under all of ancient documents. Um, So in other words, what you come to is there's thousands upon thousands of new Testament documents, ancient documents, um, very, and, and, and a lot of them very close to when the actual event happened, which is a big deal in, in archeology. And, uh, but like somebody like Alexander the great, This guy that's taught in history class, this guy that nobody questions, this guy that, you know, we just talk about and and everybody goes about their day, not not even questioning it. There's only a couple and and only a couple ancient documents about him. And they were hundreds of years after all his stuff supposedly happened. But we don't ever question it. So I'm not saying go and question Alexander the Great, but I'm saying use the, you know, uh, uh, make sure you're being fair and consistent when you're applying the scrutiny across the board um, because yeah, like you that's just the said, key. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just saying that's the key is, is, is be consistent. You know, yep. you know, we'll, 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 we'll do our best, you know, to, to be consistent. We'll do our best to apply the same kind of historical methodology to what we believe. You know, you do it with what you believe and let's, you know, let's take a look at this thing and let's, you know let's see what you think i mean you know it, it's you know you're you're investigating something and i mean you only have so many tools with which to do it now a, a lot of people and this is a, a big thing a lot of people say ah well the problem is that a historian can't make a claim or or can't come to a conclusion that lies in the miraculous you ever heard that before they 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 can't come I, to a miraculous yeah. conclusion yeah yeah, and uh, well, you know, to to that I would say, um, <clears throat> well, actually, there are multiple things you could say to that. But but for our purposes, um, I'm not a historian, so uh, why do I, you know, why why think that that I have to limit myself to that? Why can't I come yeah. um, to to uh, a conclusion that's not based on the natural, especially if the supernatural happens to explain the data and the natural does not.
1: Well, and, and people listening also be aware that. People who say that, you know are are saying, you know, as a historian i can't I can't make a claim about miraculous. You have to realize all the way back to their 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 backing to that is their whole worldview assumption that the supernatural does not exist. So that's I mean weird. that's that's a whole nother thing. that's that's your you you have to realize people are bringing assumptions into into conversations they're bringing their assumptions into how they view things and look at things so um we're trying to come to uh bring to you objective truth but sometimes you can't even necessarily get to that because people uh, you have to go you have to approach it a little bit differently because some people don't even believe in objective truth so right (laughs) this 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 incorporates a lot of different things but you have to realize there's assumptions that go into it um was just kind of the point I was trying to make off of what you just said.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, exactly right. So, so okay, so let's look at a little bit of of what we have here. Now, there are a couple things that I think need to be set up for context, okay? Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely want to talk about that Jesus was raised, okay? Jesus died and was raised. We're going to get to that in in just a minute, but there are a couple kind of things that need to be, uh, some brush that needs to be kind of cleared out of the way, so to speak. All right, one of those is that Jesus was a man, OK, mm-hmm. now, yeah, of course, we, we argue that he was the he was the God man. OK, yes, we, we, we understand that. And you can visit your Bible, visit the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and you will find out all about that. Uh, first chapter of John, in fact, the whole book of John uh, teaches this uh, quite well. But understand that um, Jesus was a real person. Okay, he was a real person. He did things in real history. Those who wrote about him place him in the context of real history. They, they, they place him in a particular place at a particular time where, and they give details, especially Luke in particular, gives details that goes beyond the minimum necessary. Okay, just to, uh, in my view, I mean, just to make it absolutely clear that, that that this is an evidential thing, right? Because that he starts out his book by saying that he did his best to create an orderly account to um, Theophilus so that he could understand what was going on with this person, Jesus. And so understand that Jesus is situated in real, History—that's the point—and he was—he was a real man. You know, there is just no dispute about that. And you're going to see things online. You know, you can go on YouTube and you can find all kinds of resources that say that Jesus did not exist. I'm just telling you—we don't have time to go into all of that. I'm just telling you; those are absolutely bunk. They are bunk. They are bunk. They are dead in the water. Nobody believes them. They just don't. Okay. Well, so let me um, let me
1: um let me make this point real quick. Uh, it, it's kind of skipping ahead, but it also uh, solidifies what you just said there's many many mm-hmm. skeptical non-christian scholars who study this stuff and and all that that say yeah. um like i'll i'll read uh one one quote i have here this is from skeptic skeptic scholar marcus board jesus's execution is the most certain fact about the historical jesus so let, let mm. in case in case you got lost on that you can't be executed if you're not real. So <laughs> So I, mean, <laughs> just, so aye, I know aye. I know we jump I know I know I was jumping to the next point but I'm also solidifying the fact that you have to be a man to be actually for real executed. Mm. So there yes. there's the fact yes, that Jesus exactly. was a man that existed is is n- it's it's not a debate. It's 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 known.
0: That's exactly right here. And, and just to, to kind of solidify it even further, you know, Bart Ehrman is a really popular skeptic. He, he teaches right here in North Carolina at the University of North Carolina. And he's got this, uh, I believe it's a book, Did Jesus Exist? And here's just something he says from that, quote, "...despite the enormous range of opinion, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree." Jesus was a Jewish man known to be a preacher and teacher who was crucified, a Roman form of execution, in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman Emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. And he goes on to say, The idea that Jesus did not exist is a modern notion. It has no ancient precedents. It was made up in the 18th century. One might as well call it a modern myth, the myth of the mythical Jesus. Close quote.
1: That's not a Christian, guys. That's not a. Exactly right. That's not as the quote he just read is is from a guy who's not a Christian. So, nope. You know, take, fact, take it for how his you New take it for how at you a school, to, but yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and Bart Ehrman's yeah, famous. Yeah, he I he mean, teaches obviously, New
0: Testament at a school right here.
1: Yeah, I I actually have one of his quotes written down too. Um, go for it. And, uh, no, uh, it basically is just about exactly what you just said. It, it's uh, a quote from him. One of the most certain facts of history is that Jesus was crucified on orders of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. So, think, but mm, but also, right. uh, I also want to make sure that everyone listening is is thinking about this too. Think about what he just said. Break down what he just said. One of the most certain facts of facts of history, Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is in history, was crucified, his death is in history, on orders of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. So Pontius Pilate, another major character in the Jesus story, is in history as a fact. So, (laughs) again, you know, think through all these things as you're seeing this.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And so, uh, again, suffice it to say, Jesus was a real dude. Now, now, again, you're going to have disagreement, right? Let's, I, I like to be as clear as I can. You know, somebody like Bart Ehrman has a different understanding of some of the things that Jesus said and did, of course, than yeah, than we do. But his under, but 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 that's not you know, it's not universal. I mean, you've got different people who say different things and his ref or his 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 material has been soundly refuted by other scholars. So, you know, but but you know, I only use him to say that yeah, he is a very skeptical person who says, No, this is indisputable. Jesus existed. Now the next thing that, in my view, is important, again, before we get to like what Jesus did, it's really important to know who he was. The theologians often call this, um, they contrast the person and work of Jesus. Both of these things are equally uh, important. We have to have an understanding of both of them. So not only was Jesus a man, but Jesus was the Messiah, okay? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That's John eight fifty eight. This is very clearly Jesus making a claim to be essentially Yahweh in the flesh, right? The Jewish God in the flesh, shown up in, you know, in in this um this place in history. And he is the Jewish Messiah. And when when people, you know, for me, again, I try to simplify things to the extent I can, and so many people say, "Well, you know, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Okay. Well, number one, that is very demonstrably false. I mean, if you read the scriptures, right, if they have any historical credibility to them at all, he definitely claimed to be God. There is no doubt about that. And, but to people who would challenge that and say, no, he didn't claim to be God. Well, I I would say this, just what exactly do you think Jesus was crucified for? Jesus was crucified, right? So, so, just yeah. what do you think he was crucified for? and and you know what's the answer to that question? Well, he's not crucified for what he did. I mean, yeah, he did you know he was a miracle worker. Again, that's attested even in even in extra biblical sources. They attest that he was a man who did miracles and performed exorcisms and things of that nature. You know, all of that stuff was attested. But if you read the Bible, that's not why why Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified because of who he claimed to be. For the Jews, that was blasphemy. It was utter blasphemy that he would claim to be God. And so that is exactly why. And again, you, you can look back now... Uh, there was th- prophecy in general is, is kind of a very retrospective thing. Um, you know, we need to be kind of easy <laughs> in a certain sense on uh, the ancient Jews because there is no passage. There is no passage in the Hebrew Bible that just explicitly lays out all of these things that we know about Jesus um, that we can look at now and say, oh, well, this was obviously Jesus. How on earth could they have missed him? Well, the reason that they missed it is because it was intentionally cryptic. And Paul mentions this. Paul says if they had known about this, if the powers and the rulers and the authorities, the spiritual forces of this world, he talks about this stuff in Ephesians and in Corinthians, if if they knew this, they would not have crucified him. And the reason they wouldn't have crucified him is because his death and resurrection made the way. It was the key to the whole plan. It was the crux, if you will, right? It was the hinge, if you will. It was the turning point. The it, it changed all of history. And if they knew, if the, if the powers of darkness had only known that this, this, his death and resurrection, that this is what they were going to use, that this is what, what God was going to do, if they had known that was the plan, they wouldn't have gone through with it. That's exactly what Paul says. And. So we can look back on it now and we can see that all of these things, every detail, I mean, well, at least so many details of the life and death and resurrection of the Messiah, of Jesus, are 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 brought to bear in the Old Testament and, and written in the Old Testament hundreds and thousands of years even before Jesus fulfilled them. And uh, th- there was, um, oh gosh, I'm probably going to get this illustration wrong. Uh, I'm really bad at making illustrations. The only thing worse <laughs> that I'm worse at is remembering other people's illustrations. Um, but th- there was a scholar back in the 20s who 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 put together some information based on probability. And he said, you know, what's, what's the probability of, filling up, or excuse me, what is the probability of one man fulfilling, he started with just eight, of one man in history fulfilling just eight of the Messianic prophecies that we see in the Old Testament, just eight of them, just eight of them. And the probability, again, I can't even remember the specific number, but it's such that it would be like going to the state of Texas and filling the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And looking, you know, painting one silver dollar red or blue or whatever, and finding the one, picking up, just reaching down with a blindfold and picking out the one silver dollar in the two feet deep buried, you know, silver dollars of of Texas, okay? And that's if he only fulfilled eight of these prophecies in history when they needed to be fulfilled. Again, he ran the same calculation with like 40, and... with with the fulfillment of, like, 40 of these prophecies. And it comes out to a number that's bigger than the amount of, like, protons, neutrons, and electrons in the universe, okay? So, um, you know, based on best estimates or whatever. So the point is, and he fulfilled more than 40, a lot more than 40. So the point is that from even just a a probability perspective, you know, what we're dealing with here is, is a person who claimed to be the Messiah, and he demonstrated it with his um with his life i mean with the life that he lived and by fulfilling those different prophecies that were written hundreds and thousands of years before that Uh, you know some great places to look we're not going to go through all these but you know some great places to look are isaiah uh chapter seven um you're gonna get there is um uh oops i just uh i just skimmed somewhere else in my notes i'm sorry isaiah chapter seven you're gonna see um you know details about his death and uh, about his, his birth as well. In Isaiah 53, you're going to see more information. That's the famous suffering servant passage um, where you're going to find really explicit details about the kind of things that Jesus and his death would accomplish. Psalm 22 is another great one. Um, you know, in Psalm 22... You get a, uh, and Jesus quoted this psalm for himself, literally from the cross, um, identifying himself with the person that um, Psalm 22 is speaking of, and the entire psalm is just basically a rundown of what happens to you when you get crucified. Uh, It talks about the bones breaking. It talks about, you know, not being able to breathe. It talks about all these different things. It's literally what happens when you get crucified. It was written a thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion, and it was written a couple hundred years before crucifixion fiction was ever invented and nobody Mm -hmm. disputes that so it's really it's really something the fulfilled prophecy and even just the reason for jesus's death in the first place these alone are uh, enough to convince me that he was who he claimed to be that he was the messiah
1: yeah and
0: now go
1: ahead no i was just gonna I, i was gonna cement um your point about the the chances of of him fulfilling, being the one man that fulfilled prophecy um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I pulled up an article on Josh McDowell's website Because I know, I know Josh McDowell uses that a lot in his presentations um, And mm. in this article it says Just a handful of prophecy that Jesus fulfilled He was born in Bethlehem, preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist Entered Jerusalem on a donkey Was betrayed by a friend who, who received 30 pieces of silver Was silent before his accusers and died in the manner Romans used for criminals, crucifixion, during which they pierced his hands and feet. And then um, there's a guy, uh, Peter Stoner, in his in his book Science Speaks, calculated the chance of any Yeah, that's who it man- is.
0: Yeah, Peter okay. Stoner.
1: Um, I didn't know he was the guy you were thinking of, but uh, he calculated the chance of any one man fulfilling these prophecies, even down to the present time. Now, again, we're only talking about the prophecies that were just mentioned, so only a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. It's one... It's ten to the seventeenth power. I don't even know how to. I don't even know what that number is. I, 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 that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> but it's ten with seventeen uh, zeros after it. It's a lot. Yeah. So, but so here's the un- here's another point that he makes though. Um, Stoner then upped the ante significantly. He looked at the odds of any one man fulfilling even just forty-eight of the three hundred plus Old Testament prophecies, and the odds jumped to ten to the one hundred fifty-seventh power so we're saying that jesus fulfills all of these and even at just a fraction of them it's a number that's that's beyond you know it doesn't make any sense so exactly it's got to be him
0: exactly yeah i totally agree i totally agree now you know so, something that that kind of leads from that this is a point that I like to make with, with people is um, Jesus you know had a mission and, and he had a message okay he, he was not only he was not only a, a real man he was not only the Messiah the Jewish Messiah but he also had a message he he he, he, he came to earth um, in the form of a baby and was an you know, was was you know, grew up a fairly uh, normal life, other than the fact that he was very, uh, a very smart <laughs> uh, individual, and other people around him noticed that. And, but he he started you know preaching this stuff and making these claims, and he brought with him a message of hope. Now, and the reason I want to make this point is because if if Jesus, if the person of Jesus and what he did isn't relevant to our lives, then I mean, does it really matter? I mean, yeah. It, it, it needs to be objectively true, of course, but the point is that it has implications for the way we live. If, if what we're talking about today really is true, then it has implications for the way that we conduct our ourselves. I'm, I got news for you: um, Jesus was for social justice, right? In that, in the sense of gospel. Social justice, you know what I mean. It, not not social justice in the idea of you know the way it's been politicized and the way people talk about it today. It's not that at all. It's the gospel brings people together. There is no more Jew. There is no more Greek. The gospel, <coughs> pardon me. The gospel brings everybody together and 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 you know teaches that we are one in Christ in the sense of we are made in the image of God. And so and so you know we we have the ability to become sons of God. To them gave he the power to become sons of God, is what the Bible says. And so we have this ability, we have this power, we have, some translations use the word right, we have the right, you know, to them gave he the right to become the son of God. We have, we have this because of the fact that we are made in the image of God, and what Jesus came to do was restore the broken relationship. We sinned against God, evil proliferated throughout the world, and we are given the opportunity for redemption through what Jesus did. Um, so understanding that Jesus took part in some of these things is helpful as well. I love this quote from Greg Kokel in the story of reality. He said this, Jesus' humanity is also easy to glamorize, especially in film, but reality is a different matter. Though conceived by a miracle, Jesus still entered the world through labor and blood and pain like all children, he grew as we all do through joy and sadness, compassion and anger, rest and weariness, delight and suffering, friendship and betrayal, close quote. He, he experienced all these things and he came to redeem them. He came to earth. He came down to where we are. The theological term is condescension, right? He condescended down to we, to where we are and, and lived that perfect sinless life That none of us could live, but that was necessary in order to satisfy the demands and expectations and ultimately the wrath of God. And he bore that punishment. He bore that pain. And he rose again in redemption. And, you know, I I love this quote from Dr. John Lennox as well. He says, if you want an ultimate reason for why a human life is valuable, here it is right here. God became one. God became a human. He He took on that human flesh and, and identified with us and then went to the cross and laid those things down. So not only was he a man, not only was he the Messiah, but he came with a real message. He came to liberate the captives. You know, he came to, to redeem our souls and to save us ultimately, um, from ourselves.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that can't be overstated. That's, that's a huge point. um, and so, so, let's go into, um, okay, kind of a, a, a following a timeline of events here. We're talking, uh, the main yeah. objective is, is to talk about the the, the resurrection here. But what we're, what we're trying to do is lay the context and the groundwork for showing you that you Again, to have a resurrection, you got to have somebody that died. To have somebody that died, you got to have a real person. <laughs> so, uh, and you got to have to mm-hmm. have a real person. We got to know that it was it was a fact. It's a fact of history. So, we've done that. Um, let's talk a little bit on. We don't need to go. I guess go super long on this, but let's talk on on the the fact of the cruci- crucifixion of Jesus uh, being a real event. Um, and and to get into that. Yeah. Uh, let me just read this real quick. Um, this is from like, like, uh, Steve had mentioned earlier, um, about Lee Strobel and he mentioned the case for Christ book. Well, this, this is from that, uh, more specifically, um, the case for Easter. It's a part, it's in that book too. Mm -hmm. Um, so what Lee, Lee did when when he was in his search for Christ and and Christianity is this real? He went and he interviewed a bunch of experts in different fields uh, and and asked them specific questions about the Jesus story. So, since we're talking about crucifixion now, I'm going to talk about uh, I'm I'm pulling a few different quotes um, from Lee's book, The Case for Easter, where he interviews uh, Alexander Metherall, MD, PhD um to help grasp what was happening with Jesus' body his physical body um, before and during the crucifixion because before uh, before is something that you know we can't we we can't lose sight of that either because there was a lead up to the crucifixion also so let's talk about that real quick in the garden of gethsemane um Jesus while praying this is in Luke 22 he started while it says while he was praying he started sweating blood so uh Dr. Metherol, I'm just gonna say doctor from this point, because I'm I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Um, he said that sweating blood is this condition called hematidrosis, which is significant because that would have made his skin even more soft and susceptible to the flogging that came next. Again, so we're you know, we're building up these steps here. So here is Jesus beforehand, knowing that this is going to happen, knowing knowing he's gonna go through this event, and he's he's so, uh, uh, he's so upset about it that he's, he's starting to sweat blood, which we know is a, is also, it's a real medical thing. It's a, it's rare, but it, it is real. Um, which this doctor says when that happens, it makes your skin more susceptible to, it's just softer. So it, it makes it easier and, and all to, to, uh, uh, inflict damage on it. So, um, now we move to what was the next step. When he, when he was captured, uh, is the flogging. So let me talk about this. And this is from the book again. Most commonly known about Roman floggings is that typically they would give 39 lashes to the back and back of legs uh, with a whip of braided leather with metal balls and pieces of sharp bone attached. And the metal balls would cause severe bruising and eventually break, breaking of the skin. And the bone would shred open the skin And some cases make it all the way to the spine. So this is, you know, kind of gruesome, but we're going to, you know, we got to talk uh, in detail of what Jesus is going through because this is what his body is experiencing. So he very much, very much so was uh, was torn apart and was heavily bruised by those 39 floggings. Right. So, uh, and even to the point of where he it could have even gotten into to damaging his spine. It, it went that deep. It was it was ripping him apart. Um, and then we also see this again from the book. In uh, uh, a, a a big name in church history is Eusebius, third century historian. Eusebius said about flogging because they were still happening, you know, at, at that point when he was around. Quote: the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. So a lot of people died just from that. Um, so, you know, Jesus is, is, is he's at that point. That's what he's experiencing. So again, going back to the, what the doctor says, uh, doctor said that, that from the flogging alone, the victim would most likely experience Hypovolemic shock, which is, which is uh, uh, hypo meaning low, vol refers to volume, and emic means blood. So hypovolemic shock means the person is suffering the effects of losing a large amount of blood. That does four things. First, the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Third, the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain what volume is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the lost blood volume. So with, with, uh, with what was just said, uh, then think about how the gospel accounts say that he was staggering while carrying the cross, uh, the cross beam up to Calvary, then collapsed. Um, it is also mentioned that Jesus was thirsty. So think about how all this ties together. Uh, that's just that's just leading up to him being on the cross. so we we know that that's uh, again, from this this medical doctor who knows all these conditions and and what he his body was going through, um, he <laughs> He's in a lot of pain, and his body is being set set up for death. Like I said before, they know that, they knew that a lot of people from these floggings would die just from the flogging alone. Um, they were that bad. So uh, then you go from the flogging to having to carry the cross to then being put on the cross and, you know, then we'll go further. So, uh, yeah. Carry for, you know, do you have any, I don't know if you, you want to talk about that at all, but. Uh, yeah. Well,
0: no, I mean, I think, I think that what you said just totally lays it out. And, and, and I mean, not only that, um, that quote you read earlier from the source, I believe it was a skeptical source, who who said that, you know, this is—the the crucifixion of Jesus is, you know, probably the most historically certain fact about the life of the historical Jesus. And not only that, but it's not just some random guy, you know, some random doctor who who thinks this stuff— But there's actually a detailed journal entry in the, um, um, I think it's the Journal of the American Medical Association, that talks about this, that examines in detail the claims that were made in the life of Jesus, and absolutely corroborates everything that you just said about the kind of um, uh, brutal beating. That Jesus experienced about the conditions that were going on during the time of crucifixion um, and afterward, and, and again, they've even tested some of this stuff. I mean, for all, all intents and purposes, they've you know, uh, c- you know, crucified for those listening on audio. I'm using I'm using kind of air quotes here, but they, they essentially crucified people in the lab, uh, you know, to, to to get a sense for how you know what happened during these things. The word some people don't don't know this, but the word excruciating derives from the kind of pain that you would experience from being on the cross. And the, again, the conditions <clears> verify that, in fact, what they were seeing, um, in fact, what they witnessed was the death of Jesus. In fact, I, I like to I like to present the case. There are multiple ways to do it. One way I like to present it is in the case of the four E's. Um, and, and again, this has just kind of been adapted from Lee Strobel, who we've mentioned a couple times. But the first E that he talks about is is the execution of jesus and i think one of the most compelling reasons to think that um the execution is in fact historical um is that the romans had perfected this these were professional killers these were not amateurs right these were people who it was their job to make sure that the people that they crucified were dead, and I, I, I don't, I don't know that I can, you know, say this with a hundred percent confidence, but I'm at least fifty percent confident, if not a little bit more. But there was actual ramifications. If they got this wrong, you know, if you were if, if you were a, a, you know, somebody whose job it was to professionally execute people and you messed up and you got it wrong. I think there were actual, you know, implications that came as a result of not doing your job well. So these people were motivated to carry out the task and they were good at it. There was no.
1: And doubt. It, yeah, it, it wasn't. It was a common thing for them. It wasn't a new thing, you know, for them to go through this.
0: That's right. That's, that's that's exactly right. Now, again, there are different kind of ideas, different objections that folks have leveraged over the years, and if you just read that book, that case for Easter book, you'll kind of you'll you'll see a fairly um, a fairly in depth. I mean, it's not it's a short book, so it's not in depth, um, but you will see at least a lot of the popular theories. Um, alternative so-called theories mentioned yeah. to the execution of jesus in other words some people think that um somebody substituted they 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 were um you know they they were the substitute for jesus in other words jesus escaped jesus got out of there somebody substituted to make it look like he was the one who was crucified there's the swoon theory oh well jesus only fainted while he was on the cross um things of that nature now You know, basically nobody holds to these theories (laughs) today. They, they, for the simple reason that they don't explain the actual facts. If you just look at the facts, William Lane Craig has a couple great videos. Uh, um, um, Craig is a um, a theologian, a philosopher, brilliant guy. He's done a lot of work on this. um, uh, You know, in the New Testament and on the resurrection.
1: He was (laughs) actually one of the guys Lee Strobel interviewed.
0: Yeah, exactly right. He was. He was one of the guys Lee Strobel interviewed, and um, he he's got a couple videos on YouTube that I think are great. He he details in one of them the um, the fact of the resurrection, and then in another one he details the interpretation of the facts. And what those two videos make super clear, and these are short videos, like animated, but super high quality. I mean, you pay thousands of dollars to have these things, these kinds of videos created. Um, And what they do is they lay out and they show how people can agree on the facts and then disagree on the interpretation of them. And what you will find in watching those videos and in reading some of these resources that we're pointing you to is that the only people, and this is uh, close close to a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty much what he says here, that the only time that someone draws a conclusion on the facts of The resurrection of of, of, again we're talking mainly about the crucifixion here but of the of the whole account the only time somebody draws a conclusion the conclusion that they draw pretty much is god raised jesus from the dead the hypothesis the hypothesis excuse me that the original disciples gave all of the other ones realize that the other theories do not satisfy the criteria That the facts require. And so they just take an agnostic position on it. They say, obviously something happened here, but we don't know what. And again, this is where some of them cop out because they say, oh, well, I'm a historian. I I can't access, you know, miracle claims as a historian. You know, they'll cop out and say things like that. But anybody who takes a position on it takes the only position that you can. God raised Jesus from the dead.
1: And going along with that and I, I had mentioned earlier Craig Hazen uh, Dr. Craig Hazen's presentation The Evidence for the Resurrection Yeah, He he uh, part of his Is going through that going um, Touching on the different uh, So the way that he does He has a few different ways But the one I'll talk about is He he presents 12 uh, 12 facts Surrounding the resurrection And um, crucifixion And all that these are 12 facts that are basically like undisputed. You know, they're, you know, they're uh, skeptical scholars, Christian scholars, all that. They all agree on these facts. So then what he does is he takes he takes all of the the most common theories other than God raised Jesus. He takes all of the other theories and he applies he, he says, "Okay, in this theory, does it meet all of these 12 facts?" And he shows how they just don't and, and they, and they can't. Um, so the, the most reasonable from, again, the agreement all of all these scholars and of these facts and how they, how none of these except for Jesus, except for God raising Jesus, that's the only one that meets all of these facts. So, um, you know, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. I, that's one of the re- one of the reasons why i love that presentation um but uh and i like i like just hearing him talk too he's he's a good he's an easy guy to listen to
0: yeah he's a good communicator hazen is yeah yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I actually I actually
1: met him met him one time oh did you really um, oh, that's awesome yeah he's short
0: <laughs> really seems like
1: a cool guy <laughs> yeah <so. laughs> he, um, he's really cool
0: well the second e that Strobel mentioned is early uh, early accounts that Jesus rose from the dead. So um, and, and this is kind of a, a more general point. we won't spend a lot of time here but, but this is almost a more general point that kind of undergirds the other ones. but many of these facts that we're looking at that we're talking about such as you know that that Jesus was crucified and we'll talk more about um, some other ones basically all of these facts have have early multiple, attestation from independent sources. And and the reason why it's important to mention that is because that is the gold standard for historical investigation. What you want to have is sources that are reporting very close to the events. So early, um, you want to have, uh, multiple. So you want to have multiple accounts going on and you want them to be independent from each other. Um, a lot of times, and actually, the the case for Easter book that you mentioned uh, t- uh, takes a lot of care t- to talk about this. But um, I think it's it's Bill Craig's chapter. You know, a lot of times you will have um, people who they give an eyewitness account. Let's say you're talking about a trial, you know, something like that, and they they have mm-hmm. these eyewitness accounts. You know, you can always tell when there is collusion going on because the yeah. stories match identically and sometimes you'll have people say things like well how do we know that really the gospels can be trusted I mean after all there are all these conflicting details and so what they'll do is they'll start comparing passages and they'll start quoting from Matthew and from Mark and from Luke and saying okay well these are all um, these of course are the synoptic gospels and so that basically means that there's some interdependence between them and they cover similar material etc and um, so you know but, but you know you'll read one of their resurrection accounts and and um, I'm just calling it a resurrection account, but you know the, the general you know story, the passion story of Jesus, you'll read one of them and, and you'll read another one and you'll read another one. And one of them will have details that uh, the other one doesn't have. One of them will have more women at the tomb than the other one. One of them will say that uh, that the next thing that happened after the women saw Jesus at the tomb was this, and another one says it was something else. There are things like this that go that go on. And for historians, what's interesting is, whereas the the modern reader or the modern um, uncharitable reader who's approaching the text very skeptically might look at that and say, ah, these are contradictions. Well, if you look at them, they're able to be harmonized. They're actually not contradictions. It's not a contradiction to say that you know that two people were there if really three people were there if it wasn't germane to the person's story who was reporting that there were two they all the gospels approach the life of jesus from a different angle and again there's reasons for all of that 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 people could go into if they wanted to but there's reasons for looking at this and saying okay well maybe maybe they only included these people because of this reason it was it was focusing on this aspect of jesus humanity or you know you know things like that um So the fact that they vary, that the accounts vary, yet are non-contradictory, is historical gold. This is a really, really good thing because it shows that there was not some conspiracy going on. There was not some collusion going on. They were just accurately reporting the details to the best that they could um, either, depending on who you're talking about, either recall them or understand them based on the prior sources that, that they had. And so the fact that you have differences in the Gospels is actually a... Um, many believe a, a a strengthening point, a good thing rather than a bad thing um, and you're welcome to comment on that further if you want to, but I, I would just also say that with the with the fact of the early accounts that you know the point is that we have passages and and different Portions of Scripture that are dated to very, very, very early. Um, the the, the yeah. creed you mentioned, First Corinthians, and First Corinthians fifteen begins with a creed that the early church used um, to to teach in a succinct way about the death and resurrection of. Jesus this is I believe this is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 7 and you get all of the information that you need about the death about the crucifixion about the appearances you get Uh, about the resurrection uh, uh, you know most importantly about the empty tomb you get all these kind of details in this creed that's in 1 Corinthians that even the most skeptical of scholars date to within one to basically five years of the cross happening and in fact there are some who would say that this actual creed dates back to within months two to three months even of the cross itself um uh oh That's (laughs) that's a loud. One. <laughs> we can. Well, let me, uh, we can edit
1: that. I'll, uh, I'll. I'll speak on real quick. Um, the point you were making before, uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to give too many, you know, more detail on it. But the the point you were making before about um, contradicting texts and, and stuff like that, a, a amazing book that goes into that is, and we had mentioned before, is J. Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity. Again, he's a He's a cold case homicide detective, so it's literally somebody who is trained to study something like this. And he was a he was a skeptic, non believer. Um, at, at yeah, while he was studying that, while he was studying the gospels, and uh, I, I believe it was you know his his wife had become a Christian, and um, and and he said, okay, well, I'm not going to just believe it just because you do. I need to like actually find out. So he took all of his training, all of his his uh, uh, amazing, well, basically, yeah, just training, and applied that directly to the gospels. He went he went straight to, he went straight to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he said, because he because he realized he he knew enough about scripture that if if this part's not true, then I don't need to you know really get myself into this. I don't need to believe it. So I'm going to apply everything I know to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he goes very in depth in that book, cold case Christianity, um, talking about what you just said, the, the supposed contradictions, um, how they actually help the case. Uh, he even goes into a lot about what you said about, um, witnesses saying the exact same thing and how that actually is, is non-beneficial. Um, he talks about all of that and and goes into much more detail than we are here. So, if if that's something that interests you and just helping further this this case, mm-hmm. cold case Christianity by Jay Winterwales. Side, and side note to all this, um, I'm going to try to uh, keep a track of all the books and and people we're mentioning, and then I'll have everybody in the show notes. I'll have all the resources and stuff in there, uh, and even some links to videos and all. Um, so. Uh, and then going for, uh, I just wanted to make this point um, that I know you were you were probably getting to, but about the First Corinthians 15 passage again mentioned earlier, it's it's not a debatable fact that everybody agrees the the, the Apostle Paul is a real guy, um, and that he he was around and 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 pushed the story of Jesus, uh, so. And again, he and and First Corinthians fifteen is is known as probably one of the earliest writings of the New Testament, um, where this this actual writing was probably probably within like you said one to five years somewhere in that range, uh, maybe ten years or so of the actual events of the crucifixion. But then, but the important part of this and the way that it's worded in verse three is. This is Paul saying, "For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then it goes so on and so on to the other details. But the important part is uh, he delivered what he had been what he had received. So the point is that message that we know that this is an early document, the message that he received, had to have been earlier than this document, so that that creed and all that we're talking about was around even before this was written. So again, going back to where that creed was probably within months or so of the these actual events. And if you're talking about um, if you're talking about historical documents and how uh, just the different things that you need to help the credibility of these documents that are being found and in. Uh, in Ancient, um, yeah, ancient documents All of this kind of stuff Is gold All of, and, and the more you find is gold So when it comes to New Testament Literally no other Ancient document even touches Or comes close in any type of a way To the credibility that the New Testament Has So Right. Yeah, I'll stop. Yeah. I'll stop my ramblings there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and let me just—I uh, don't want to say correct, but let me just clarify something you said there. So, so you know, the general you know date for for this book, uh, the book of First Corinthians, is. Um, Somewhere between A.D. fifty three A.D. fifty seven, um, uh, and and so okay, we, I, I had yeah. the,
1: I had the dates probably mess, mixed. Yeah, up Yeah, well, that's
0: why I'm just clarifying. So, so, so was, they think it was written um, potentially during his stay at Ephesus. But what he's saying is that he, yeah, he's communicating that which he also received. So, so the writing even of this is within, you know, twenty or so years right after the yeah. actual after the actual events, but that he received this likely within the first five and then. That the tradition, you know, originated, you know, probably months from the actual event itself. And this is the kind of thing that scholars look for. Again, let me just kind of underscore the general point that uh, this is the kind of information that scholars want to have about everybody, about every historical figure. And this is what they want and, and they don't get. I mean, this is this is. Tr- tremendous stuff if they actually had this about some of these other figures that nobody has a problem with accepting their historicity then that would be um, actual gold and, and while I'm on my hobby horse um, here <laughs> le- let me just let me just go ahead and make one other point um, it, you know, it's a big pet peeve of mine and I can't say that that I'm not guilty of having done this myself too but um, I find I've actually got a blog post coming out about this in a podcast episode coming out about this in the next couple weeks or so um I find that many skeptics have really bad theology and what I mean by that is that there are certain things that skeptics many times and even some Christians are not willing to consider they're not willing to dig deep enough they're not willing to to um, to, to have enough context to um, to really be able to to evaluate these things, and what triggered my mind on that was talking about the documents, talking about the um, the fact of contradictions. Somebody looking for a contradiction, who wants to find one, can find one. You can go, you can find all kinds of things if you want to, but that they don't have to be. A contradiction they can be yeah. you know like, like you like we say they um you know you can use details to fill in the gaps from one and there are arguments uh the, tim and lydia mcgrew have some really great material on this about about um arguments from um unexplained illusions undesigned coincidences and other things which speak to the reliability um of the gospel accounts um but even going beyond that i mean the, the general point i want to make is you can't expect an ancient document to to have some of the same reporting and the same kind of features as a modern document. I mean, these are ancient Greco-Roman biographies, okay? That's what the Gospels are. And there are some different rules when it comes to these than there are with modern documents. You don't have the exact level of detail. And so it's really amazing when you think about what we do Actually, have recorded about the life of this random carpenter living a couple thousand <laughs> years ago. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no there's no historical information about hardly anybody unless they were a very important ruler, a very important king, a very important figure would have somebody written about them during this time. Not some random Jewish carpenter that people were making up stories about. That is not the kind of thing that would survive through time were it not for the fact that it was a, a, a truthful event. And of course, there's, a, a, I believe, a spiritual element to that as well. Of course, the Holy Spirit coming down and, you know, people um, converting to Christianity In spite of the um, every disposition to the contrary, really, Um, but all these things work together. So, um, and uh, just to to kind of put a final, we talked about. I I said we weren't going to spend much time here, and we did, but that's fine. Uh, (laughs) On the early accounts, I I mean, this is the kind of thing where it's like you know, even if we put it generously. The earliest writings about Jesus generously are before seventy A.D. I think they're a lot sooner than that, right? Like 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 early fifties.
1: Mm. But
0: but the I, earliest I writings, but
1: yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think you're about to touch on what I was actually going to bring up. Okay, keep going.
0: Yeah, great. So so I mean, they if we just if we just say very generously, they are before seventy A.D. and we have. Fifty six hundred manuscript uh, copies. Now, when we go into translations of manuscripts into other languages, we get we get like twenty three or twenty four thousand. Okay, we got 5,600. It's more
1: than that now, actually.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, how much is it now? Do you have a number?
1: It's. I think it's close to
0: thirty. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't even know that. Wow, I'm behind the times. Yeah. Okay, so so somewhere close to thirty thousand, you know, um, um, manuscripts. Okay, okay. Well, so but let's just go with the small number, right? Let's go with five thousand six hundred because that's the, the manuscripts that were written in um, the original language. Okay, so five thousand six hundred basically Greek manuscripts uh, that might include Aramaic too. I'm not sure, but but Greek manuscripts generally speaking. Okay, the next closest to that. Is Homer's Iliad. And that's at 500 years. There are 500 years between the original and the copies. And there are only 643 manuscripts found. Now, Aristotle, he's another one. And you might have some other ones. You mentioned Alexander the Great. Maybe you'll mention him as well. But the other one that I have down here is Aristotle. Nobody disagrees that Aristotle existed. The problem is that the earliest copy of his original writings is 1400 years after um, he he, uh, originally wrote them. And, And there are only 49 copies. So again, this is where I call you to consistency skeptic who are listening you know i mean i call you to consistency here i say if, if you if you can agree with me that aristotle was the real deal then let's have a let's have a chat about jesus because the the historical um significance of that and the the, the amount of evidence that we have there is absolutely incredible and to dismiss it on the basis of oh well this person said there were two you know people at the tomb and this other person said there were three to, to just say, Oh, there's contradictions. You know, and then throw the whole thing out. That is just, that is just such a, 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 a cynical, it's not even skeptical. That's just a cynical mindset that we need to, uh, that we yeah. need to shed when we're looking at this.
1: And, and to, to even further that idea, just the point I want to make real quick is when it comes to the, the, the documents that were, were made and copied and all, <laughs> When you actually get into to looking and, and researching into uh, into back in ancient times, the scholars uh, who were in, and were in charge of copying these, what they actually had to go through was it, it's it's almost mind blowing. Like to to think that like they were held to that strict of a standard mm-hmm. to to make sure they didn't mess anything up, and it, it literally is. I I was reading um. When I heard that when I was going through Josh McDowell's uh, evidence at the man's verdict and he was completely laying out what they go what they have gone through throughout the years to make sure they didn't mess up when they were copying it's, it's I was just reading it like just jaw dropped. like I can't believe that people actually dealt with that every day and day, day in and day out and, and went and followed through with that it, It's just insane. Um, so, that's yeah, it.
0: A, yeah, absolutely, and, and again, I know I'm kind of beating this horse, but but let me make another point. I was I was reading I was reading a book. Uh, I'm actually still in the process of reading it. Um, by Carmen Imes. it's called "Bearing God's Name." The point of the book isn't necessarily germane here, but um, I'll mention it anyway. The point of the book is that the concept of the name and name theology in the Bible. It, it's not talking about you know, you know you know, pardon me, but saying, Oh my God or something like that. When it says don't take the name of the Lord in vain, don't bear God's name in vain that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something that's more profound than that. Um anyway uh, it's a great book you should read it um in the in the bible um there is a difference between um like a window and a painting this is the analogy that she wrote about uh in the book to kind of uh, at one point when it was kind of like okay this is how you need to view these accounts and again she was talking in a mostly old testament context but there's also new testament stuff here as well she's an old testament scholar um and it's the window versus the painting. A lot of people, especially us modern Westerners, right? We want, we want the Bible authors. Now, again, I fully believe that the, in the perspicuity of scripture, I believe in the clarity of scripture. Absolutely. We can look at scripture and we can ascertain what was said, but it's not as though, and again, this is just, it has to do with ancient writing styles. We, We just know this about ancient documents. Okay. Whether they be from the new Testament or, you know, from the times when the old Testament was being written. Um, the, the writers write more like a paint, or more like a painting than than looking through a window. In other words, th- there are details that are left out. There are details that are there, according to a specific purpose. The example that she gave was um, was it um, Plato and Socrates? <clears throat> I think there is a painting of the death of. So- I think it might be called the death of Socrates, and in the painting. Plato is pictured, but everybody else in the painting is looking at Socrates, and Plato is looking away. Now the point is, Plato was not there at the death of Socrates, but he was so close that he... He, and I hope I'm getting all the names and everything right in the story right. I think I am. The point is that they were so close, and he, he admired them so much that he wanted to be there, but he couldn't be there for some reason. So the author, or the, the rather the person who painted this painting, painted it to to telegraph that, to, to, to bring that message to bear. And if you looked at that and just said, you know, oh, well, he why is he pointed the other way like if you were looking at if you were expecting to be looking at a window of the event that actually happened if that was meant to meant to depict that okay this um, at the death of Socrates Plato was actually there why was he looking away like that was awfully rude like or or either well we know Plato wasn't there but Plato was in this picture therefore this painting is just wrong but that's not yeah. what well, that's not the point the point is that Plato had a deep love and respect for socrates and the, author, uh, the the painter i keep saying author but the painter in this case wanted to message the fact through the through the painting that he couldn't be there despite the fact that he wanted to be and so he was looking away so um, a lot of times we have to, again, just kind of let the Bible, the New Testament, and the Old Testament, if we look at them as individual documents, whatever, we have to let them be what they are. We have to say, okay, these are ancient biographies. What would we expect from them? And then we apply the standards of historical you know, evaluation to them. And, again, I call you to consistency. Let's look at everybody. Let's apply the same standard to all of them. Let's apply the standards for ancient documents to them, and let's see who comes out on the top. When you do that, Jesus comes out by far in a way. On top of of the story, all right. We got two more e's to go, so let, let's try to move through these real quick. Um, uh, the empty tomb is is the next one, okay? Yeah. And there are lots of reasons to think this. Now, um, the empty tomb is one of those kind of facts that uh, Gary uh, Habermas and and Mike Locona There are two of the premier scholars on the resurrection um, alive today and probably in all of history, to, to be absolutely truthful, and I think most people would admit that. Um, And uh, they, well, Habermas has done a a study trying to get a list of the scholars and a percentage, really, of of the scholars who come from all kinds of backgrounds, skeptical backgrounds and um, also believing scholars, etc., to kind of understand where the consensus was with respect to the empty tomb. And this is the one fact that has the majority of scholarship behind it. but not, it's not a virtual consensus. So there, it's not like there's 99% who think that the tomb was empty. But over 75%, I believe, at the last count, do believe, and this is skeptical scholars, conservative scholars, etc., um, believe in the truthfulness of the empty tomb story. And that's just, you know, fantastic. And th- again, there are a number of reasons to think this. Part of the reasoning is, is just the fact that we have multiple, again, multiple independent early sources who... Talk about the empty tomb again. That formula from First Corinthians fifteen is huge here. It mentions about the fact that the tomb was empty, and um, and, and, and Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb was empty, etc. He rose again the third day, and um, so this is an extremely early source that we have. That um, Mark is. It's well known that Mark's passion narrative is derived uh, from an earlier. Uh, from a very early source because, again, Mark's writing style was to have less details um, until you get to the passion story. He was not a very detailed writer. He just kind of hit the high points on, again, to message the things that he wanted to get across, to to get across about the life of Jesus, what his perspective was, what his intent was to convey. But then when you get to the passion narrative, as it's so-called— you, you get a little bit difference in the writing style. And nobody thinks that that somebody different wrote it, but they do believe he was now drawing on a different source, what they what they call in the scholarship the pre and passion source. And um, this, again, of course, gives the attestation to the empty tomb. And then there are two other things that I think find that, that, that make the empty tomb very compelling. First of all was the admission of the Jews. Now, this is really interesting because you kind of have the first— um, uh, what would you call it? Counter apologetics going on right here. I mean, at the event itself, right? You've got you've got the disciples, right? And there's kind of this conversation uh, going on. You know, you, you've got these people who come up and say, um, "Wait, well, where's Jesus? Right? Like he wasn't here." And um, you know, th- the Jews say, "Oh, well, his body was stolen." And there's something interesting about that because it's it's a tacit admission. That Jesus wasn't there. Why didn't why didn't the Jews say something else? You know why wasn't there, um, you know why wasn't their response something different than that? It was no, the body was stolen, meaning that the tomb was empty they could have said oh maybe he's at a different tomb or you know something like that but the point is that they made up they had an apologetic so to speak for why the tomb was empty which means they admitted that the tomb was empty and again jewish sources will absolutely corroborate this that lie outside of the bible so matthew uh matthew chapter 28 is where that is it records the jews this is what i have in my notes here um conspiring to claim that the body was stolen by the disciples but again by making that claim they implicitly confirmed that the tomb was empty so i think this is a really really great point um another point here is the finding of the empty tomb now again one of the criteria in evaluating uh, history is called the criterion of embarrassment and this helps us to know that yeah go ahead
1: no i was gonna say i I was gonna go there if you didn't like go ahead
0: yeah yeah this is an important point the, the criteria of embarrassment because what scholars tend to realize is that especially when it comes to ancient documents again we're talking about ancient documents and in ancient documents very few things were recorded if they were not about important people and more specifically if they did not cast a very positive light on the yeah. important person so for example in ancient times they would record um the victories of nations and of kings but eh, they might not record the losses so consistently you know, they want to puff themselves up they want to make themselves look good so It's unlikely that embarrassing details would be included. And all throughout, again, the life of Jesus and the resurrection narrative, there are all kinds of these embarrassing details. For example, the fact that the disciples tucked tail and ran after... Jesus died is one of those details. It's one of those things that, you know, we, we would want to portray a different if we were making this story up, or if they were if the gospel writers were making this story up, they would paint themselves in a different light. But that's not what happened. They they yeah. they, they admitted that they basically tucked tail and ran for their lives because, you know, they said, Oh no, you know, what happened? Jesus is dead. Apparently things didn't go how we thought they were going to here. Uh, and so they were su- surprised by that. That's the kind of thing we mean. Well, the empty tomb Um, This particular part of the narrative has that going on in the women. The fact that women were the ones to go find the empty tomb is huge because the testimony of a woman in that day frankly was not considered reliable um and i think there are even some actual jewish court documents and stuff that 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 say that the testimony of a woman was basically not even admissible in court i I mean there was you know it was a very you know kind of patriarchal society and again this is just the way things were so if the gospel writers were looking to create kind of a, a story of this. They, they were making this up. They were fabricating the whole thing. They would have surely had somebody else, you know, even just some of the male disciples discovering the tomb instead of the women. But no, we find that it is women who find the empty tomb and first report this. Again, they are reporting to the disciples that he's not there. He is risen. And so there's no reason to think that this was made up. The best explanation of this fact is just that it actually happened.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It makes the and there's many other uh, examples of this, but it makes the men look soft. And again, in that cultural context, you would not have written that way unless it was what actually had happened. So, I know I, I know some skeptics when they hear this argument, they're kind of just like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> that, that, that you know, you're just going off embarrassment. It's kind of stupid, but uh, but. Again, when you're looking at this objectively, it and, and con- contextually is that a word? I hope it's a word. Um, it actually it is uh, it, good. It, it it means something. And this actually plays a big part in this. It, it it plays a big part into the the truth behind this this writing. Um, just furthering, you know the the uh, furthering that that it's it's you know a cemented factual story. Um, So you got another, and it's all
0: over the New Testament. I mean, I mean, look at look at James, the 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 brother of Jesus, was a skeptic the entire time of his ministry. Now, now that's actually another point that James was a conversion afterward. That's another point that could be made, Um, but look at he spent his entire lifetime with jesus making these claims performing these miracles doing these exorcisms and things and basically the the new testament presents it as though he did not believe that jesus was the son of god his own brother and that's one of those embarrassing details again that if these were just legendary um uh, you know or if these were just made up tales these kind of details um would not be in there, and, and so these yep. are the kind of things that um, that make scholars think. Again, we're not making this stuff up. This is how scholars evaluate history. People are unlikely to record things that do not um, cast a helpful light on them, and and do not, you know, kind of give, um, you know, go to their self interest kind of thing. And so yep. that's what we find going on here. So let's apply the same thing to Jesus that we apply to other people, and the same thing to the Gospels that we apply to other um, other ancient. Ancient documents,
1: um, exactly.
0: Okay, so the, the the final E, the final E is eyewitnesses, and um, this is another kind of more more general point, but it's 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 the fact of the appearances. Now, now Gary. Um, Uh, Gary Habermas and Michael Kona, I've mentioned them already. They are both proponents of what is commonly called a minimal facts approach. It's just one way of approaching the evidence for the resurrection. It's not really even my favorite way, Um, but I I, I at least can say that I get the point. I I get why they take this route. Um, And and what they do and what they kind of claim is that, well, you can actually demonstrate that Jesus was raised based on only granting the facts that skeptical scholars— Will grant, you know, based on saying, okay, only, only the non-conservative scholars will grant these facts, and you can demonstrate based on them alone, and um, so a lot of times, what, uh, what those two facts comprise are crucifixion and. The appearances. Now, again, there are, are facts that go beyond that, that that, um, that secular scholars will, in fact, affirm. But but when somebody is trying to make a bare minimum case, when Michael Lacona wrote his book on this, the bare minimum that he went for was to prove that Jesus died and to prove that he was seen. Okay? If you can, to, to kind of put it um, more, I guess, colloquially, maybe that's the way to say it, um, if you can prove that he died and that people saw him alive afterward— then you can show that Jesus was raised. That's kind of the the the, the simple way to put it, okay? And yeah. so they they make a lot out of this, and it's a big deal. The appearances. Um we have, again, early eyewitness accounts. Um, we have the Apostle Paul in that creed in First Corinthians. I mean, he's claiming that five hundred people at one time saw the resurrected Jesus and that others in different parts of um, of the of the region, saw Jesus at different times. The the disciples, of course, saw Jesus. He he appeared to them in person, and it wasn't some sort of spiritual thing. It wasn't just uh you know like a vision. Um, scholars have pointed out that in fact, if if what Um, based on the Jewish worldview, again, this is where you have to kind of adopt, you have to understand, you have to look at things like a first century Jew, okay? For for them, uh, people say, well, what if they uh, just had some sort of hallucination, okay? Jesus didn't really appear to any of these people. He just had, you know, uh, some sort of hallucination. Well, um, group hallucinations, 500 people at one time, you know, that is just unheard of. It's just not going to happen. One scholar said that would be a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. Okay, they're, they're, you, these are not shared kind of experiences. That's not what happens. But you know, you might yeah. say something like, "Well, maybe they saw a vision of it, You know, there was a vision or something like that." Well, again, when you look at a Jewish worldview, um, the very point is that if they were seeing a vision, they would be seeing a vision of somebody that was alive they wouldn't in other words that, that's not the route that they would not have assumed and they would not have argued on the basis that jesus was alive on seeing a um on seeing a vision in other words they, they would have expected that somebody excuse me was dead not alive that's the point i wanted to make was that if somebody was dead they would be expecting to see a vision but instead they didn't see a vision they saw that he was alive they they ate with him they you know th- you know you know the story thomas he put his you know, hands in the scars, you know, put, you know, in the scars. He says, touch me, you know, break bread with me, that kind of thing. Again, the way that the stories are reported, they're not reported in such a way that you would think that they were some sort of spiritualized kind of thing. They're reported in such a way that shows, okay, this was a person that they ate with, that they touched, that they had conversations with. You know, this is not just some sort of hallucination or some sort of, um, or some sort of vision. Okay, now some people say, okay, well, maybe they just lied. All right. Maybe the apostles were, were they were just not telling the truth They could have made the whole thing up But again there's just an avalanche of evidence That goes against that um, The embarrassing details that we mentioned already um, The eyewitnesses again that we mentioned already The lack of time for legend to develop They, they say that uh, you need well, I forget the actual I think it's 25 years at minimum Something like that for a legend um, To be developed And actually take hold um, In ancient history And again we have Sources that are just months after that we have every reason to think. And, and by the way, some people say, well, well, you know, it's Paul. Paul's the one who wrote this um, um, thing in 1 Corinthians 15, and he claims to have gotten the tradition from other people, but how, how do we actually know that? Uh, he could have just been making that up too. And uh, no, that's actually not true, because uh, Clement of Rome, who was a disciple of Peter, and Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, both in writings that they have, confirm Paul's relationship to the um, to the apostles and confirm that Paul's theology was correct and is what the disciples believed. And again, this is um, literature outside of the Bible. So, I mean, we, we have we have corroboration from sources inside of the New Testament and outside of the New Testament that say that what these what these guys reported was the real deal. And, and again, scholars will generally grant, whether it's skeptical or not, will generally grant yeah. that the disciples legitimately believed that they were had an experience of the resurrected Christ. They willingly laid down their lives, or at least they were willing to lay down their lives for the truth of this.
1: Many, and, and that point alone has been made by many people. Um, cause some people come back, you know, and say, well, you know, what about, what about cultists? They, there's so many people that have died in cults that, you know, and that was a lie, but they died for it. It's the difference is people, people don't die for something that they know is a lie. So, you that's the point of of the the martyrs or uh, the, the disciples as martyrs and why that's so significant cuz they would have known they were in these stories they were involved in the story of Jesus they were around Jesus mm-hmm. they saw what he did or didn't do and stuff like that and they 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 saw him crucified they they you know again according to scripture they saw him afterwards but if they didn't Why would they have gone all the way to the to the point of death and to the point of of like really terrible deaths? Not just, you know, not not just like they were hung or something, which is terrible in itself. But like like there's some really gruesome stories of how some of these guys died. Um, So that's they you.
0: Yeah. Sean McDowell wrote his dissertation on this. It's called The Fate of the Apostles. Um, You should you can find it online for free. It's also a book, but you can find the PDF online for free.
1: Yep, I actually just looked at that yesterday for some reason. Um,
0: <laughs> oh well, it's I haven't read but a little bit of it. Um, yeah, it's it's a good read. You know, um, th- there's another there's another point that I like to make here, and again, this is almost kind of like a hobby horse thing. I'll try not to go into it, but uh, too far. But you know, you do have to approach this question with sort of the presupposition that the supernatural is possible. Or, or mm. you at least have to grant that. Because, I, I, again, somebody somebody might say, well, I reject the fact of the resurrection based on the fact that people don't rise from the dead. Duh! Like, that's the point. The point is that people don't rise from the dead na- by natural yeah. causes. But here we see that 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 if god exists and there's good other reasons for thinking that god exists that god rose jesus from the dead that's the contention of the disciples and, and so to the people who who want to reject that i find that so many people who reject that are the same crowd of people who say that life period like all life arose on its own 14.8 or 13.8 or whatever it is now <laughs> a billion years ago from rocks, okay. He's and again, hobby I know horse. I, I'm I'm putting I, right. Like again, I I go back to this. I go back to this when people say they're not willing to to investigate the evidence with that with the with the supposition or the presupposition of the supernatural and granting the supernatural. I'm like, what What do you think a miracle is, if not that the fact that we can peruse the stars today? Fourteen point eight or thirteen point eight billion years ago, we were. You know, basically exploded into nothing. Where you know, stardust became us. Basically, that's what you know. Neil deGrasse Tyson and guys like that will say, you know, Lawrence Krauss. Well, you are stardust. You should be thanking the stars. You know, not Jesus. You're made of star. You're not made in the image of of God. You're made in the image of stars. Well, you know, um, if you believe that, if you're coming to me and you say right now you believe that, you're not willing to consider the fact that there's a God who created everything and that. If the evidence is so good for the, for the resurrection of Jesus and that all you would have to have to kind of um, set the stage for that is the existence of God, you're not willing to grant that to objectively evaluate the evidence, then get out of here. You know, I mean, give me a break. I mean, I want you to come to faith, but you can't, you, you're, you're not thinking clearly. You're not thinking rationally. If you're thinking that it's okay with you that life could arise from nothing, billions of years ago on its own and that the entire universe could come into being out of nothing you think that can happen and yet you don't believe that jesus could rise from the dead despite the avalanche of historical evidence that says he did by any reasonable standard of measuring history then i can't help you i can't help you and and that's that's the point that I, that I, i try to make with people to at least get them considering the evidence
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just watching an interview yesterday with um, I'm kind of forgetting his name. I think it's Steve Layton, maybe uh, where he the the thing that made him he was a skeptic his whole life. He's a, he's a scientist. What brought him to even being open To looking into scriptures and being open to, you know, Jesus uh, and God being real was when his brother, who was a Christian, just simply said to him, what do you think came first, mind or matter? Because mind, we know, we all know that the mind exists, something outside of the brain, that that this this non-physical thing, when you get down to it, everybody's going to admit that, but... So did matter itself create mind, or did mind create matter? So, you know, that plays into everything you were just saying about your your presuppositions and how you approach this subject.
0: Yeah, you know, and too, you know, you can find... um secular scholars for that, too. If what you're interested in is having people who aren't already Christians agree, you know, say things like that, I mean, you can look at somebody like Thomas Na- Nagel, um, the philosopher uh, out of New York, who he recently, well, in the last few years anyway, wrote a book, um, mind mind and cosmos the subtitle of the book is why the material um, neo-darwinistic um, materialist um, worldview or whatever is certainly false I forget the exact subtitle but it's, it's something like that you know why why basically neo-darwinism materialism is almost certainly false and and the point being made is that you know at the, at the point that that was true mind you know wouldn't even be detectable <laughs> like the, it would be ir- irrational for us to for you and me to be having a conversation, because there is no me, there is no you, in that outlook of things, right? We're we're, we're yep. just matter all the way down. And so, uh, how irrational! It's the height of irrationality to to argue using your mind that you don't have one. It's insane. It's, <laughs> it's utter insanity. And So I, I, I so I, again, I we don't want to go down that whole, whole whole rabbit trail. The point that I'm making there is if you're coming. To me with that worldview currently and you're telling me that what i believe is irrational um and, and and you can't consider the evidence um and come to a supernatural conclusion you already believe in the supernatural house you just don't admit it like that's the way i'm putting it like you yeah. you already believe in it you just don't want to and you don't think you do but you do um yep. yeah, as one uh, I, I i love when bill bill craig he um was uh, tipped in and uh, somebody else and Uh, There were two authors on this book that was written quite a while ago, written by Darwinists. And they came to the conclusion in the book, or at least one point they made in the book, was that uh, the the human evolutionary process requires ten steps, each of which is so highly improbable on its own that between each of them you would have had enough... um, Uh, enough time would have to happen for the sun to cease to become a main-sequence star and therefore incinerate the entire universe. Any one of them. Before they happen, yeah. and yet all yeah. ten of them had to happen in order. To, I, I, I mean, and, and as 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 Craig uh, likes to say, at the end of that, um, if that happened, then evolution, uh, in that sense, is uh, evidence for God and is a miracle, and therefore is evidence that God exists. And so, the person who wants to use evolution just to say, "Oh, God doesn't exist," well, <laughs> even that process, given what they believe about it, is so miraculous that it would be evidence for God if it were true. So, yeah, um, that. The fact that you have to start with that presupposition in, or, in order to come to a miraculous conclusion with respect to the historical details surrounding the resurrection, uh, to me, that's just no stumbling block at all. There are multiple good reasons to think that God exists independent of anything that we've talked about with with Jesus. And that's, that's a topic for another day. But it is a point that we have to make because, again, you're going to have people say to you, well, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because people don't rise from the dead. And to them, I say, that's the point.
1: <laughs> yep. I, uh, uh um, what was it? Okay. Yeah. So basically, basically, the point is to wrap everything up that you just said from the, the great scholar known as the rapper Ice Cube. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
0: <laughs> Ice Cube theology. I love that. Yeah. That's right? pretty great. Yeah.
1: So, um, uh, let's, let's kind of wrap this up for the people. And, um, if you could real quick give basically give the gospel in in a you know in a in a short kind of just simplifying it and why everything we're saying is important um and and how it's important for the individual that's listening
0: yeah i love that um Simple, you know, I'm not very good at simple explanations, but I'll try. You can come it down for me if you if you want to. Uh, you know, the, the gospel really, for me, starts in the beginning. Um, you know, you can walk down the Romans road. The, the Bible is very clear that all have sinned against God. God created a world that was perfect. God created—well, I use the term perfect, but I use it loosely. Um, God created a world that was perfect. Um, it was without sin it was according to his good design the world functioned the way it was supposed to everything was right the world the utopia that all skeptics want to live in it's the world god created it's that's what we believe that's what the bible teaches is that 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 god created that world and the fact is that through forces of evil and us uh being in the world we wrecked it um you know, God gave us an opportunity. God created us as divine sons of his and gave us the opportunity to be in eternal communion with him and fellowship with him and to have basically our, our souls satisfied for all of eternity in him. And we decided, you know, I believe anyway, uh, different people have different opinions. My personal opinion is that God gave us free will. I personally believe that that a prerequisite for the idea that love, that genuine love is possible, is that genuine free will is also possible. That's my my take on it. And if that's true, if that's true, yeah, okay, good, good. So, so if that's true, then um, God gave us the opportunity to choose to love him. And in, in, in a sense, the human race chose itself over God, said, no, I want to be, I want to be God. This is exactly the same thing we learned from other portions of scripture, that um satan and his minions uh, felt they uh, also were created with a measure of free will and they chose to sin against god as well and so if you look at um uh, uh, the the writings of paul he makes a big deal out of these themes that um the, the 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 intelligent forces of evil and um and humanity have have sinned against god and while there is no redemption for for them, there is redemption for us because God made us to be His His sons and made us to bear His image and to to bear His name um, among the rest of the world and for eternity. And what 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 God offers through Jesus is a. A restoration through the resurrection now I've never put it that way before but it's it's a restoration of what God always intended us to be through the means of sorry I got little ones but that's okay um, oh, little good. ones are a gift from God too so um, it's a restoration through the means of the resurrection of jesus christ and and so it's so important to catch that we can't talk about the gospel without talking about why we need the gospel and most people realize if they really think about it and maybe they don't even have to think about it maybe that's the problem is they're thinking about it too hard most people realize that the world is broken if they didn't there would be no problem of evil to speak of most people realize that the world is broken, And guess what? No matter what you believe, it's an objective fact of reality that the world is broken. Something's wrong. Something is not right. And it doesn't feel like it's the way it's supposed to be. And everybody has that problem. If you're an atheist, you have that problem. If you're a Buddhist, you have that problem. If you're a Christian, you have that problem. The only question is... What worldview solves the problem? We all long for a resolution. Now, some people just punt. They say, well, there will be no resolution. The world, billions of years from now, will end in thermodynamic heat death. It's all coming to an end. Live for the here and now or create meaning for yourself and be a, a good person, whatever that is, apart from God. You know, be that, do that, you know, love everybody around you, whatever. The The problem is, is that none of these things are... Um, are true. <laughs> uh, they are. Uh, they're hopeless. Um, to create meaning for yourself, it's not to create objective meaning in the world, in the universe. It's just not. And what what Christianity offers. Uh, And beyond it just being a true account, I believe it is a true account. I believe there's evidence that it's a true account. But it offers a hope that no other worldview does. It offers that restoration. It takes seriously the fact of suffering and the fact of evil and the reality of the way things are in the world. It's in John 16, 33 that Jesus says, look, um, I'm telling you this so that you might have peace. Um, In this world, there is going to be tribulation, but you need to be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. The point is that becoming a Christian does not remove your suffering, but becoming a Christian provides an answer, or or the Christian worldview, I should say, has an answer for that suffering. Right now, again, I know this is not a simple description, but I think it's important. Right now the world is in a tumultuous time. Um, we, we We have a disease that's going around, a virus that's going around, and whether or not you believe that the virus is as deadly as some do. There are different opinions on this. I'm trying to tread carefully here. Um, The unrest that is often caused by the media is a problem in itself that I think everybody realizes. And so we are in a world of unrest, in a world of hopelessness. And the answer, the hope, is Jesus, is restoration to a right relationship with God. We've sinned against God. We need to have that restored. And Jesus offers that through the gospel, and so this is why Paul says that if Christ isn't raised, your faith is in vain. But it, it, I don't necessarily think. Um, well, he might do it in his kind of you know Bible language kind of way. But uh, later in the chapter, but 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 the opposite of Paul's point is also true. If if Christ is is in fact raised, then you're not in your sins anymore if you believe on Him, and you accept the reality of the facts of the resurrection. You place your your faith and your trust in Jesus. You know, Lee Strobel puts it this way, believe plus receive equals become. That's kind of the formula. Believe in Christ, receive that salvation, ask God for it, and you become a son of God. That's what the gospel offers. It offers that restoration.
1: Exactly. Um, and what you were uh what you had just gotten to, he gets that from John one twelve. Um, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. So that's what we pray for you guys listening. Um, you know we uh, we pray that any any believers already that are listening to this that you're strengthened um, by this uh, in your your confidence. Um, maybe you have questions and doubts. I pray that you know, maybe we touched on them, uh, and hopefully helped you in those areas. Um, and, and non-believers listening, you know, like we've said, hopefully in a way that, uh, is, is respectful and all to you. Um, give this, uh, this deserves, um, to be looked at basically. It deserves to be looked at because of all of the all of the various reasons that we've given. Um, and I, I, use the word reason on purpose because that's something that a lot of people, a lot of non-believers think that Christians are not reasonable. Um, you know, cause they might say like, we believe in this, this guy in the sky type thing. And no, there's, there's, there's reasonable, um, reasons to believe in this stuff, to believe in the fact that this is mm-hmm. historical. Um, and for everything you just said is why it's important that this is historical and how that applies to us as an individual. Um, because we're not this earthly life that we're, we're living currently is not our home. We're not in our home. Uh, we're not living this life for this life. So and that, that applies to to every single person everywhere. So uh mm. that's why this is important. That's why this applies to you directly. Um so any There's closing any comments? Then that's we'll, exactly we'll, right. Yep. Uh have yeah, anything else? Yeah,
0: I would just say, um I would just say that the reason that this was done was love. Um that's a point that that Lee makes that uh, one of the pr- people that he interviewed, um in uh, his uh, kind of exploration and, and writing the books that he's written, um, one of the big points that was made was that the reason Jesus did this is because of love. And that's what it all comes down to.
1: Yeah. So I would say, you know, anybody listening, if if you want to uh, uh, further talk about, you know, what what does it mean to really have a relationship with, with Christ? Um, you guys are talking about all this. And okay, I get... You know, you might be saying, "Okay, I get that this is this is a lot of facts. There's a lot of uh, of good proof and evidence behind this." Um, but what uh, you say it applies to me? What does it actually mean? Um, so, if if you want to have those conversations, um, I'm completely open to you guys uh, getting it getting a hold of me. Um, I know that Steve w- uh, is the same way. I, kn- I know Steve would be open to um, to talking to him about this stuff. So. Uh, if you do, if you want to, if you want to reach out to me, you can, you can email me, Aaron frees 91 at gmail.com. Um, a, a, r, o, n, f, r, e, a, s, e 91 at gmail.com. If you want to email me on Facebook, I'm just Aaron Simpkins. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, if, if you want to reach out this, this is, this is why we do what we do for, for people to come, to know Christ and have a relationship with him so mm-hmm. uh
0: yeah, and so, yeah. I, if you don't mind me mentioning, Aaron, I, I've, got a, I've got a page on my site that um, is, you know, if you're looking to kind of uh, get started with this and you want kind of a simple explanation, an actual simple explanation uh, of, yeah. of the gospel and, and what, what, what the biblical story is, you could go to, uh, and if you want to link the, link them to this, you can, you could go to com slash why-trust-god. And I've got a page there that's laid out for why, why it is you should trust Jesus. You should take him at his word. And... Um, and you should ask God to come into your heart, and you you should uh, and whether you're not you think that's a good way of putting it. You should you should you should um, you should believe Jesus. That's the point I want to make. You should believe Jesus, and you should proclaim His name for the rest of of your days. Um, and I've got a page there that's specifically laid out there, and to kind of you know acknowledge the fact that you might have some questions and right there is a place where you can search search uh my site for resources um and answers to some of the questions you have or you can reach out to me directly right there my, i've got my email address on, my, on that page as well i think i have my phone number there too so yeah Re- reach absolutely
1: out. um like i mentioned before i uh, just want to say it again we're gonna we're steve and i will we'll make sure that um uh, I'll talk to him before I write up all the show notes to make sure that we're not missing any, uh, any authors, anybody we mentioned, um, videos, uh, books, uh, even his links for his show and all I'll have, I'll have every, I'll have all of that in the show notes for, for this, uh, podcast. Um, so go and check that out. And, um, yeah. So why don't we end this, uh, Steve, um, you know, how can I reach you follow you and, and all that?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I put out a blog post and a podcast every week. Uh, the, the, um, essentially the blog post uh, is, I I write that obviously, but then uh, in the podcast, I I use that as kind of the notes and you you get a little bit of, uh, I guess you'd say bonus content uh, if you listen to the podcast instead. Um, And, and, you know, some people don't have time and they want to skim. So I just try to create a resource at least every week for everybody to come out to. Um, So I have everything you can find that I do. I've got online courses. I've got books you can buy. I've got blogs you can read. I've got podcasts you can listen to. I've I've got it all uh, at stevestram.com. You can find everything you need to know there. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions, uh, you know about that, you know, feel free to holler at me.
1: Cool. That's Steve S C H R A M M. Yep. Steve, Steve, Steve. Dot com. Right. Um, cool. Uh, I pre- appreciate you, brother. Thanks for the time. And, uh, and you'll be back. You'll be back for another one. Cause we, we still got a lot of other fun stuff to talk about. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Um, and, uh, let's just keep moving forward. God bless.